0: So um, met, many of you have met Jeannie probably. Again, she works with a church called Soul Survivor over in Watford in the UK. Um, it's a place that I got to visit. They do these festivals with thousands and thousands of people from around England, around the world. And Jeannie is part of the ministry team and trains the ministry team. It's very gifted. It's very powerful. And we're very thankful to have her with us. Yeah. Don't big she is. I had a picture of her before the service. She was like the Tasmanian devil, and she didn't realize it. Like she's like, I'll make him out and stuff. The things that she speaks of though are as powerful as anything you know, in terms of the freedom that she has been given license to bring to us. It's, it's just so powerful. It is, it's so powerful. And uh, we're so thankful to have her here. Um, she used to be a brunette. She wanted me to tell you that. I don't know why. I'm not sure why. But um, I think she's going to work it into her talk or something. There you go. Jeannie Morgan. There was a point for me saying that, Aunt Lee, is that I don't know if you get it in America, but in England, there's a song, Genie with the Light Brown Hair. It's a very old song, and people used to sing that to me when I was at school, and, um, but they wouldn't now. It's all died. Anyway, that's nothing to do with anything, really. You just said to me, what do you want me to say about you? I said, I used to be a brunette. <laughs> right, when I say the word control, what do you think of? If you're a bloke, I don't know if you say it. Do you say the word bloke here? No, if you're a guy... Do you say guy? Is that it, right? If you're a guy, maybe you'll think of the remote control. Is that what you call it here? Do you call it remote control? Oh, good. In England, I don't know about here, but in England, the ladies never get the remote control in the marriage. You know, it's always the guys. I'd love to find out what those buttons are. I only know two or three because I'm never allowed to touch it. Anyway, that's a domestic thing. So if you're a bloke, it's remote control. If you're an engaged Christian couple, it'll be self-control that's on your mind. If you're a married woman, probably birth control will be in your mind. If you're a footballer in England or a soccer player in America, it's probably ball control. If you're a pilot, maybe air control will be your thing. If you're an elderly person, bladder control. Very important. If you're an American president, nuclear bomb control. This word control, you know, is it a negative word or is it a positive word? Well, we need to hold in in our hand that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, I know. But there's no surprise of what I'm going to be talking about tonight, is there? It's about control. Well, last year, actually the beginning of this year, in England we've had loads of snowfall sort of in the, um, just before Christmas last year and January last year. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have our grandchildren live opposite to us, opposite over the road, and so we join them going on a local piece of land. I know it's all flat here, but we've got we live in the Chilton Hills, so it's all very hilly. And right close by, there's some public ground, and it, it's a f- high slope. I mean, it's amazing for tobogganing, you know, and sliding down on the snow. And I, I, we went round with our grandchildren and was watching them doing it. And I thought, I'm 61 years old and I've always, always wanted to do that. And I've never done it. I've never done it. And my fear stopped me, you know. And why, though? Why was my fear stopping me? It's something exciting. You know, it's relatively safe. There's no trees, you know, in this area. Um, What could happen, really? You know, Um, what was my fear? Well, probably at my age, you know, it's hurting myself because I've done it before in the past, hurt myself and it takes a while to heal up, you know. I'll be out of action for a while if I hurt myself, you know. But what, what would it else it mean? Well, hurtling, you know, down on that ground really would be, I'd be quite powerless to stop, you know. I wouldn't know how to stop because I didn't know that actually if you just put your feet down, that slows you down. I hadn't sort of really thought of that. Sounds odd, but I hadn't thought of that. But I'd be like completely powerless, I wouldn't be in control, you know. I wouldn't be in charge. That toboggan or sledge would be in charge, you know. But this year... In January this year, my desire to join my grandchildren became greater than my fear, you know, and I conquered it and I went on that um, sledge, you know, and I was just so excited at the end when I'd done it. I was like, why did I wait all those years, you know? The worst bit was going up the hill again and I, they let me have another go, you know, and, but then it was like to hand it back because they all wanted to race each other and everything. But, you know, I'm going to get my own one now, you know, and hope that this year there'll be some more snow so I can really have a go. But the trouble is, you know, it's like when we face our fear, you feel this freedom. You feel such freedom. You don't feel that powerless feeling. It's such a horrible, horrible feeling to feel powerless. But we have to relinquish that control, you know, and that fear. Well, it's... I don't find it very easy because I grew up in a very fearful household. You know, my mum was one of those people that she'd always be saying, be careful, be careful, or don't do this, don't do that. So I never did things like, we had a tree in our garden, I'd love to have climbed it, but as I would start to do it, she'd shout out, you know, be careful, be careful, don't do it, don't do it. So I grew up with that all the time, you know, because my mum was was such a fearful person. She had so many phobias and so many fears that she would only bathe in like that amount of water, you know, such a tiny bit of water, because she was frightened of so many things. She was frightened of water, you know, she was frightened about things she ate in case it made her ill, and loads of things. And she'd tell me these terrible stories of childbirth, or the dentist, and all stuff like that. And I even remember going to bed at night, being so scared about my brother. I mean, I was only like sort of eight years, nine years old. But I remember every night going to bed thinking, it, how many years will it be before my brother is called up into the army? Because it was, I don't know if you have that here where it's, I think you do, don't you, where it's National Service. Do you have that? You don't. Well, it used to used to be in England that people, when they got to a certain age, they would have to go into the army for um, a couple of years. And I would be so scared of that happening. You know, at that age, is ridiculous, isn't it? That my brother might get killed, you know? I didn't know how I could stop it happening. And so my mum didn't go outside the house for about 10 years. She had agoraphobia. And um, I think I had, you know, I had a lot of that. You can catch things sometimes from your parents of those fears, you know, and those I wasn't phobic, but um, it just was like the world's a scary place, I suppose. Um, But really, we need to surrender those fears to Jesus and receive that command of what he said. He said, don't be afraid. You know, it's a command. He said, don't be. Don't be. Just don't be. And angels appeared to people, didn't they, in the Bible. And those angels said, the first thing they said was, don't be afraid. Because it's quite scary, I should imagine. I mean angels i see sometimes in different shops you know i don't know if you see like angels portrayed and they're like fairies aren't they they're not really angels angels i think are huge you know they must be ginormous you know um but they that would make you a bit scared i should think if they appeared to you but it's a command you know he said don't be choose not to be and so I've had to do that loads and loads of times. I've had to out loud, I choose not to be afraid. I choose not to be afraid and keep saying it and hoping that everything else will follow behind it, you know? Well, now, since Christmas, actually, I've advanced a bit more. I've taken up flying. I can now do loop-the-loop, loop. you know, the loop-the-loop the loop thing? I can fly very, very close to the ground. Oh, by the way, that's on the Nintendo Wii. I've got one of those at Christmas anybody done that sports resort anybody done the flying put your hand up Have you done it it's addictive i just absolutely love it i've done all 80 symbols now on the eye thing and now i've done the um i've nearly done the white balloons i've done all the other balloons you know you won't know what i'm talking about if you've never done it but believe me if you ever get a chance to do it it's very addictive it's wonderful but it's helped me a bit really it's helped me to know that i never want to take up flying for real you know Because I get so confused and disorientated flying upside down, you know. I can't work out where the sky is and where the ground is, and, you know, it's awful. And then the other thing I've been doing is diving, again, on the Nintendo Wii, you know. And again, I've got no sense of direction anyway, and I just keep getting lost. But I've seen a lot of good fish, so that's good. But in our life, we're always taking control. Whether you think of it or not, you are. We're always taking control, And are we surrendered? Have we surrendered completely to God's control? Are we open to the Holy Spirit being in control? the thought of that what does that do to you you know the holy spirit manifesting his power we're talking about the power of the holy spirit where it says in the bible in genesis in the first few chapters uh, first few verses about the holy spirit hovered over the waters and divided all the waters you know into streams and rivers and and everything can you imagine you know the power of the holy spirit is enormous if we were to think of the holy spirit coming upon us in power i mean really great power you know not just trembling a little bit shaking a little bit or being tearful a little bit, what does that thought do to us? You know do we fear it? do we want really want the Holy Spirit to do stuff, but maybe do we want the Holy Spirit to do stuff just on our terms? Do we say with one part of us, "Oh, I so want you to do this God, I so want you to do this life changing thing in me, Lord, but then when we the Holy Spirit's invited to come in power, or we invite the Holy Spirit to come, do we back off? You know, do we back off? Do we give him permission only to do the things that we want him to do? Do we say to God, you know, you can do this, but don't, you can't go there. I don't want you to go there. You know, I don't want you to. And sometimes we can be even fearful of the Holy Spirit. We can be fearful of the power of God. Can you imagine the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you know? It says about the Holy Spirit came as a violent wind. Sometimes we just say the Holy Spirit came like wind at Pentecost, but it actually says a violent wind in Acts 2, a violent wind. It was noisy, you know, it was like gale force, and it filled the house. And then it says there was fire, and that must have been really big, you know, because it said the fire separated, and tongues of fire came upon each disciple. It must have been really huge, it sounds scary, doesn't it? It does sound a bit scary. You know, but when we read these things, we, we don't really sometimes enter into how scary it must be. Do you think anybody was thinking, oh, help, I'm not in control here? I'm not in control. Who is in control? But Jesus said, expect something powerful, something good was going to happen, something better than Jesus um, being there. What could be better than that, they probably thought. And they appeared drunk. Their body was not in control, their mouths weren't in control. They started speaking in other languages. What a mixture of feelings they must have had, you know, awe-inspired, exhilarated, total freedom, I think. And then they got really bold. Would you have run away or would you have wanted more? I like to think I'd have wanted more, but can you imagine what that must have been like? Is fear a good thing or is fear a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing if your house is on fire, because you'd run like Billy-O, wouldn't you, really? If your house was on fire, you'd get out there as quickly as possible. And God's given us that so that we will get out the way, you know, if danger's come in. But what if somebody lit a match? You know, that's not very scary, is it? Fear can save our lives, if you know, if we're in danger. It's a natural, instinctive thing, and it's been built into us. And if we're faced with something really dangerous, we'll either fight that danger or we'll run away from that danger. So it's also good. But if we're fearing something or reacting to something that's happened in the past and we're fearful it's going to happen again, even though there's no evidence for it, then it's anxiety, really. That's anxiety. Because we're fearing something, because it happened in the past, we're getting scared that it might happen again. And then we can start getting scared of all other things as well that are totally unconnected to that thing until we can get into such a, such a cycle of just being anxious. And somebody, um, I think it was Joyce Mayer, um, described this as in one of her books as um, false evidence appearing real. If you take the letters of fear, F-E-A-R, false F evidence E appearing A-R, real. It's not real. And we can get this anxiety all the time. And, you know, it's become such almost a disease amongst us. You know, it's, it's not just in one country. It's like throughout, you know, loads of countries, probably worldwide. And with young people, young people are so anxious. They don't know what they're anxious about. You know, we're living in anxious times, I think. Some of us go through with anxiety from childhood because of what's been done to us. And we want to control people. Sometimes we want to control circumstances. And it can become such a stumbling block to us. Stumbling block because it stops us entering into that freedom life that Jesus wants to give us. But God, you know, he's a safe place. It says in the Psalms, in one of the Psalms, that he is a safe place. He's our safe place. He's the person to run into, if you like. We can surrender to him. I think we'd feel so much safer if we just kept doing that, you know, if we kept surrendering. Daily, do that surrender. I know I have to keep doing it all the time. But some of us, we might have become a Christian. When we first became a Christian, we asked Jesus into our life, um, but we never surrendered our life, gave over that control. We may have done it once, but maybe we keep taking it back. I know I do, you know, and I have to keep relearning that one. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, in the New King James Version, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear is a natural thing, you know, but it, it just lasts a little time so that we can run away or do something about it. But maybe for some of us, we've grown up with a really controlling parent. To be under that, you know, continuously, a controlling parent. You know, to live under that set of rules, you know, of do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. You can do this, but you can't do that. You know, and that control, even when we leave home, that control can still be with us and can still affect our life. Has any any of you watched that um, program, Brothers and Sisters? Do you know that program, Brothers and Sisters? Anybody watch it? One person there, two, you dare to admit it. We watch it. I love that program. (laughs) Um, this is all about relationships, you know, and I love things, that, any programs that are about relationships. And on this program, um, it's obviously about a family, a big family. And there's this guy, Kevin, and this was some time back, and he reached his 37th birthday. And every year he had to have dinner with his family on his birthday. And even though he'd left home and he said he didn't want a dinner party, he said to his mum, I don't want the dinner party, his mum still spent all day cooking. And she went ahead regardless. And she was like manipulating the situation. You know, he didn't want that. He said he didn't want it. And then they also we discovered that same week, he kept a, she'd kept a secret from him for 20 years. And he'd punched, I know it's a program, but this sort of thing happens in real life, you know. He punched somebody when he was a teenager and the bloke got paralyzed. And his mum was protecting him and never told him that. You know, she said she was protecting him. Or was she controlling Was she controlling? Because when we make mistakes, we've got to live with those consequences, haven't we? But she covered it up. Can we have a smothering parent? You know, they never cut the apron strings, you know? the umbilical cord they never cut that you know they're overprotective they never allow us to make a mistake when we're a child or when we're growing up and they're still now you know I know they I do that with my daughter you know um, because she's been ill you know for a few years and she's loads better now she's about 80% better but I know I've, I've restarted doing that with her because she was so ill and um, I have to keep stopping doing that you know she's going to make mistakes she's going to have to suffer the consequences and we have to let our children do that but it can make us really passive with no ambition you know lethargic and affect us spiritually how about this do you have this in your family but we always go to auntie jones at thanksgiving anybody grown up with that you know do you still have that do you still get that you know what do you mean you're not coming to lunch on christmas day what's more important than your family you know some of us have grown up, with controlling of manipulative parents. And some parents, they play mind games with us, you know, and it can so stunt our growth. And it can affect our choices even, you know, of what we wear or what we do or what we do as a job or who we go out with or who we marry, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that fear can affect and that control can affect our spirit. And you might find it's really difficult to be spontaneous. Some people do, you know, or to allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign. Or maybe you had an abusive parent, you know, or maybe you were abused by somebody else. And that can keep you in a constant state of fear, that fear, until you forget almost what that fear is or what it's about. And you can try all the time to try and stop that happening again. Or maybe you were bullied at school. You, maybe you think, I don't ever want to put myself in that situation again where somebody could bully me. And I know somebody that happened to her, and I'll call her Molly. She chose to be friends with somebody who was very, very manipulative. He was a very, very strong-willed person when she was a a teenager at school. And the reason that Molly did that was because this person offered her protection. And although she was very controlling in the relationship, she was somebody she could hide behind because she'd been bullied before, Molly, and she didn't ever want to be bullied again. So she got behind this friend and watched this friend bully other people, but she knew that she would never bully bully Molly because she was her friend. But the thing was that this friend started so being manipulative to Molly, and she realised that Molly realised she'd destroyed all of her confidence. And I held Molly's hand while she phoned this friend up, and she was actually shaking. She was shaking. She was now, um, I think, 20, maybe 24, 23 years old. And she held my hand shaking while she phoned this girl up and severed the relationship and this friendship. And she said, I don't ever want to see you again. And you know what? It took three years for that girl to give up, try and manipulate in her and to get that friendship back. She texted her on her mobile phone, her cell phone, for three years. And even though Molly never returned the text, she still would do it. And she'd start off with a message of... um, oh, do you remember we had such a fantastic friendship and we did all this and I miss you and all this manipulative stuff and all this. And then she wouldn't answer. So the next text would come, you effing whore, you effing whore, you bitch. You know, and some texts were three pages long. She would not give up for three years. So we can get into relationships or friendships where people are very controlling. And they say things like, if you don't come with me, it means I can't go. That's how people do it. It's like very subtle. It's it's like I need you, but they're not really doing that. They're controlling you. They're manipulating us. But that sort of fear, it doesn't come from God, you know. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He gives us power, love, a sound mind if we if we yield to Him. In the Bible, we're told um, in Samuel about David david the young shepherd boy and he faced goliath he was fearless and david was really young and adventurous and he lived out in the fields with all the sheep and um sometimes lions came along and he protected the lion the sheep from the lion you know and he even fought them bare bare handed you know it's amazing and his job was to look after the sheep but david knew that god's power was so much bigger than any other power and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'm sure you know, and we have taught it in Sunday school often, aren't we? At school. And Goliath cursed David by his gods and threatened him. And Goliath used destructive words to try and frighten David. And he said to David, Come to me, and I will give you the, your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? And David, when faced with Goliath, said, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And the thing was that David knew he was perfectly loved. He was perfectly loved by God. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, verse 18, that perfect love drives out fear. So we can't hold on to fear and hold on to love at the same time. It's like an impossible thing to do, to be able to grab hold of perfect love our hands are so full up with fear we've got to let go of that to be able to grab hold of it's a bit like if you imagine hanging onto the side of a cliff you know and then underneath is a ledge and that's safety the ledge is safety but to be able to get that safety to land on the ledge we've got to let go we've got to let go and you have to let go of fear to grab hold of god to grab hold of that perfect love and david knew his god was bigger than anything the lord of hosts and the Bible says, if you don't have fear, you don't have love. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means your hands are so full of fear, you can't grasp hold of it. So that's what it's like when we let go of our fear. We let it go, and we choose with our will to let it go, and we can say it out loud. There's something dynamic that happens to that in the spirit of that breaks something when we say it out loud. It lets God know. It lets He knows already, but it's like we're declaring it to him. We're also declaring it to ourselves, and we're declaring it to the enemy. And we can tell it to go. And we can push through that fear. You are perfectly loved and I am perfectly loved. And David chose to face that giant. I know I've had to face some giants. I told you of some last time when I came. And then in the space of another few years, faced loads of giants. Ken nearly died. He had this um, infection in his spine. And they said that afterwards, the consultant said, we really expect him to either die or be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Can turn up, turn up, stand up, quick! Just turn around, show him, show him, show him. You're not dead. He's not dead. He's not in a wheelchair. You know. Then, um, just before that, a little while before that, our daughter gave birth to twins and prematurely, and they only lived for uh, one lived for one and a half days, and one lived for two days. Devastating, devastating to us all. Um, our daughter got Lyme disease um, six years ago, chronic. wasn't diagnosed for two years. So it got to third stage, Lyme disease. It's from a tick bite, you know? Such a simple, little, tiny, little baby tick. And um, she was bedridden and almost died, you know? And so, in fact, there are very many scary moments, you know? That's, that was like um, probably five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, during that time. Um I don't want to tell you too much stuff because I keep talking, talking. But, you know, Goliath, he was a giant of nine foot tall. Have we got somebody here who's six foot tall? Anybody here who's six foot? Are you just over, are you over six foot? Are you like six foot something? Six foot three. Wow. Could you, would you mind just come in? And, um, we need six. You're six foot three. So say, I'm not very good at three foot. Here, would you think? Yeah. Okay. Could, would you mind just coming and stand there? That's brilliant. Right. Is that three? F- go, up, go, up, go, up, go, up. go up another one. Okay. Great. No, to everybody else. You're actually not too bad to me because where I'm standing, because I'm standing a little bit higher. Okay, now we need his armor. We're told his armor weighed 125 pounds. That would be like carrying around three women's holiday suitcases, I worked out, Probably. <laughs> probably so now we need a um, Saul was the tallest guy in the town so Saul I reckon might have been I don't know how big let's have somebody who's say six foot just or that. anybody else who's about six just six foot or just under six foot anybody here must have another one come on is there somebody come on run up run up fast if you can Maybe you can't if you're tall, run fast, I don't know. You surely can. Okay, so just turn around so that people can just get a little idea. But it's probably a bit bigger than that, I should think. So um, I think probably Saul's armour probably weighed about two women's suitcases, maybe. So it's just to give you a little idea. Thank you very much. You can sit down. Just a visual aid is quite good, isn't it? So Saul, the six-foot guy, gave David his armour. David was a young boy. He's a young boy, you know, he's probably only, I don't know how tall he was, maybe four foot something. And so, could you imagine that? He gave him his armor, his protection, but David couldn't even walk in it. He couldn't even walk in it because the armor was was two women's suitcases on a young boy, imagine it, you know, sort of on his body. Not only was it too heavy, you know, Saul was a lot taller. But David wasn't used to wearing that armor. You know, he fought off animals trying to kill sheep. And if David, I realized suddenly, if David had worn, you know, Saul's armor, he'd have never been able to bend down to pick up that little tiny stone. He wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think. And that's what he did. He picked up that little tiny stone, his ammunition, you know, to kill Goliath. But Saul tried to offer David man's protection, his own armor. David tried it on. He tried to walk around, but he couldn't. He said to Saul, I'm not used to it. It's not comfortable. He didn't go along with that offer, you know. He didn't do that, what Saul wanted him to do. He didn't take on board his armour, you know, his protection. You know, God made clothes for Adam and Eve, after they tried to take control of the garden in Eden. He did it out of his love for them, you know. Jesus gave himself, you know, we're clothed with Christ. He's our covering. We don't need armour, you know. We don't need that armour of somebody else. We don't need somebody else, to protect us. I'm clothed with Christ. You know, if you know Jesus, you're clothed with Christ. What can man do to me it says in the Bible. So we're not powerless. You know, the Holy Spirit is the power from on high. It's his power. It's available to me. David wasn't afraid at all of Goliath. He totally trusted God. Why? Cuz he'd been in so many other situations with animals, you know, protected the sheep. To David, Goliath was no different to a lion or a bear. Except for Goliath was wearing armor. Huge protection. And that made Goliath feel really powerful. His protection was his armor. What's your protection? What's your armor? Let's just ask the Holy Spirit. Let's just ask Jesus to show us. Jesus, show me. What do I wear? What do I wear? Do I wear something somebody else has put on me? That somebody else has given me? What do I use to protect myself? If he shows you something, give it to him. Say, I don't want to wear that anymore. I don't want to wear that anymore. Are you clothed with Christ under his authority? Clothe yourself with him. Jesus said, Don't be afraid. We have to choose. Am I going to be afraid? Or am I going to go and stand and declare the truth? I'm perfectly loved, clothed with Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I just want to tell you a story about a guy we met and prayed with, Ken and I. He said he had that um, compulsive disorder. And you can tell there was something wrong because he couldn't keep still. As we were speaking to him, and was speaking to us, he was, he was doing this all the time. I've never seen anybody do that before, but he was, he was go, going on like this. And he said, could you pray with me? This has taken over my life. This is taken over my life. And he was only a young guy. He was about 16. And so we prayed with him. We went somewhere and prayed with him. And um, I said, what is it that's troubling you? And he said, I did something bad. I feel so guilty I did something bad. And I'm so scared that people know. And I said, what was it you did? Do you want to tell us? You don't have to tell us but it might make you feel better to tell us because this just goes round and round in your head, you know, all the time. And he said, I cheated. I cheated and in an exam. He said, and, and I can't bear it that I did it. And I said, well, just come to Jesus now and just say sorry. And, and then we took him through that receiving forgiveness. So he received it. And then suddenly I said to the Lord, what is it? What is it, Lord? What, there's something else. What else is there to do with this guy? And fear came into my head, fear. So I said to him, when when did you get frightened? When did you become really frightened? And he said, um, he's an English guy living in England and he said, well I went to actually, I said just ask Jesus he'll show you. So he shut his eyes and he asked Jesus, when was it that I became really frightened that that connected to this OCD thing? And Jesus showed him a big ride that he went on in in America, a huge ride um, at a theme park. And I said what happened and he said I was so terrified he said that at one point in the ride he said I thought I actually was gonna die he said my heart was um, what my heart was doing was so frightening and I was so scared I was absolutely petrified out of my skin and so I think it was Ken said to him why don't you ask Jesus there to come with you on that ride because he can do that because Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so he can come back in our yesterdays and come and be with us. And so that's what this guy did. He asked Jesus to come and be with him on that ride. And um, and we just kept asking Jesus to keep, you know, bring healing to him and stuff like that. Just gently praying in tongues for him, praying in the spirit. And he said, um, he opened his eyes after a while. I said, what happened? He said, it was, I said, he said, I just can't believe it. He said, "It it was like, The whole thing changed. It was like Jesus was my friend sitting there with me, and He was just constantly talking with me and holding me, and it it changed the experience. Rather than being scared of it, it was like He was making me enjoy it. Some I don't know how He did it. He said, but it was like it was this completely different thing. He said, "It's I feel this stillness somehow. It's not peace. It's like a stillness." I said, "Okay, let's ask Jesus if there's anything else. Is there anything else you're frightened of?" And so he shut his eyes and asked Jesus again. He opened his eyes and said, I I saw his eyes moving under his eyelids, so I knew he could see something. I said, what is it? And he said, I was woken up in the middle of the night by my dad. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And he said, son, we've had an intruder in the house. He said, and he's, he's a burglar, and he's gone now. He's gone now, but I just thought you should know. I mean, what a frightening thing to do, you know. Sort of like, I don't know if it's like you, but if I'd have been woken up in the middle of the night, you know, I don't need to know that really because I've like been somewhere else and suddenly there's your dad, you know, and like looming there telling you there's been an intruder, you know. And I said, well, what did that make you feel? And he said, I felt invaded. I felt so invaded. He said, I just didn't feel safe. I felt so unsafe. So I said, well, do the same thing now. I said, Jesus said, I'll stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and be with you. Go to the door, see yourself in that bedroom in that time, and just go to the door to get out of bed and just open the door to Jesus. So we did that. and I, After a little while, we could see, you know, he, he looked different. And I said, what's happening? He said, Jesus is sitting on the end of the bed with me. I said, oh, great. I said, what's happening? And he said, do not know, he said, it's just like I don't feel that feeling anymore. I'm not scared. I feel like instead of feeling powerless... I feel powerful somehow. It's not... It's taken it all away. And then, um, then he said, I feel still like I've never experienced this feeling ever in my life. And I told him to tell that fear to go now. All those fears, tell it to go in the name of Jesus. So out loud, he said, In Jesus' name, I tell that fear to go now. You're not going to control me anymore. I'm not going to have that anymore. You know, I belong to Jesus. He's my shield. You know, he's my rock. He's my deliverer. He's my protection. He clothed with Jesus. And then I said, what else are you scared about? Anything else? Well, the future. What's that? Oh, I've got an exam coming up in a couple of weeks. I said, okay, why did Jesus do the same yesterday and forever? He can go in the future. So see yourself in that exam room where you'd be. So he did that. And then I said, you know the rules, <laughs> the thing now. You know, just go to the door. Invite Jesus in. Ask Jesus to come into that room. And he did. And he said, it's just great. Jesus came, and he, he sat next to me at the desk. And I just know he's going to be there when I go there. I knew he was going to be there anyway, but now I really, really know he's going to be there. And he stood up, and he just kept looking at his body. He kept looking down at his body, and he says, I'm not doing it. I said, what? He said, I'm not doing that thing. You know, he said, I couldn't keep still because I, if I thought if I, if I ever kept still, that would be the end of me. It was just this fear that gripped him that that would be the end of him if he didn't keep still. You know, and it was amazing. It was amazing to see that. If we surrender to Jesus, he changes the circumstances or he changes us to cope with it, you know. If we surrender to him, the Holy Spirit comes and we can surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, a climbing plant, this is, I'll finish with this. If you put it in a pot, a climber, a plant that climbs, you know, for loads of feet, It won't grow very big if you put it in a pot, you know. It's restricted because you're controlling it. It'll never grow to its full potential, what it's capable of. But if you put it in the ground, you know, lean it against a wall or a support, off it'll go. You know, it'll grow to full size, as long as it gets water and support. And we can be like that climber plant, you know. We can allow ourselves to be restrained by that pot of fear or control, being controlled, being restrained, never reaching our full potential. Or, you know, we can be like that. The Bible says, "Come into a spacious place, being supported by the perfect love of Jesus, watered by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us freedom so that we can grow to our full potential." Let's stand, shall we?